Welcome to the Chiropractic United podcast series for August 22nd, 2011. This podcast is brought to you by CBP Seminars. For more information on CBP technique, browse to idealspine.com. Also brought to you by Dr. Fred DiDomenico of Elite Coaching. For more information on how Dr. Fred can build your practice, please browse to elitecoachingllc.com. And finally, by my company, postureco.com. If you're looking for an x-ray digitizing system that's a complete EMR for your radiographic records, then Posture is for you. If you're looking for the best screening uh, application out there, then visit iTunes App Store. Or just for both, go to postureco.com. So now, let's get started. Okay, welcome out there to uh, the Chiropractic United podcast for the week of eight of August 22nd. It's actually Monday night tonight. We usually do this Tuesday nights, but uh, due to Dr. Joe Ferrantelli having a previous engagement with the Florida Chiropractic Association, he said he couldn't do it Tuesday night, and since uh, we can't do this without Dr. Joe... We were kind of hogtied there, so Monday night it is. Uh, Chiropractic United, for those of you that do not know, we're an online video training service for chiropractors, and we also do uh, uh, complimentary podcasts. We try to do these once a week. Uh, We try to talk about chiropractic philosophy. We try to talk about chiropractic business management insights. We try to talk about research and and technique updates. And then we try to bring in some of the top speakers from around the world in the chiropractic profession. And on, on that note tonight, we have none other than Dr. Christopher Kent, who everybody out there should know who Dr. Kent is. And if you don't know, I'm going to go ahead and say you probably had your head in the sand or... You are a chiropractic student. Uh, hopefully you have heard of Dr. Christopher Kent. He's done a number of things for the profession. He's developed technology to help assess the vertebral subluxation. He's performed research in the chiropractic profession in the peer-reviewed literature, not just uh, self-published research in trade journals. We're talking about professional scientific publications. And he's been instrumental in the development of many chiropractic guidelines including uh, the CCP guidelines and including the ICA X-ray guidelines, which we call the PCCRP. We branded them the ICA guidelines because we had to have a major uh, professional organization behind them. But as Dr. Christopher Kent knows, he was instrumental in helping us develop uh, these X-ray guidelines for practicing chiropractors out there. In fact, he was one of the five... uh, uh, chair members on this panel. So tonight we have Dr. Christopher Kent, myself, Dr. Deed Harrison, and Dr. Fred DiDomenico from Elite Coaching, and Dr. Joe Ferrantelli from Posture Co. and CBP Seminars. So welcome, Dr. Joe, Dr. Fred, and Dr. Christopher. Welcome, everyone. Hey. Thank you. So, Dr. Christopher Kent, first of all, we'd like to extend a big thank you for taking your evening out with us tonight. It takes about an hour, hour and 15 minutes out of your night. So if we forget, let's start off with a thank you. And just to introduce the the general theme of this particular week's podcast, uh, we'd like to talk about the United States healthcare crisis and the concept of chiropractic cost-saving models. So on that note, uh, Dr. Kent, uh, can you share with us some uh, beginning thoughts on this? Absolutely. Uh, It's virtually impossible, as you know, to read anything in the literature, to read anything in the news, to 
turn on any media such as TV or, or Internet broadcasts without encountering some discussion of the U.S. healthcare crisis. It's been a major issue in uh, political campaigns, past and present, and there really is little evidence that it's likely to be abated if we continue the course we're on. And the numbers are really staggering, and I'd like to share some of those with the audience uh, and also do a little exercise to make them a little more real for you. The United States spends approximately $2.7 trillion per year on so-called health care. And I say so-called because it's really disease treatment, not health care. And to put that into perspective, that's about twice as much as the next industrialized nation on the list. So we spend significantly more money on so-called health care than any other nation on the planet. It accounts for 17% of our gross domestic product. And just to make it real for you in an individual context, 62% of U.S. personal bankruptcies are attributable in whole or in part to inability to pay health care costs. Now, you talk about a trillion here, a trillion there. Um, just to make that real for you, if you think of a dollar as a second in time, and the way I like to think of this is, you know, if you were to count, you know, one, two, three, one million dollars is about 11 days. In other words, it takes you about 11 days to count to a million if you were counting one per second. A billion dollars, 30 years, and listen to this, one trillion dollars, 300 centuries. So these numbers are just absolutely staggering. And when you look at where the money is spent, you really see where the opportunity exists for us as a profession. About 70% is spent on chronic illness, cardio, stroke, diabetes-related disorders, obesity-related disorders, arthritic conditions. These are the big um, expenditures. This is where the serious money is going. 70% is spent on that type of condition. One out of every six dollars in the U.S. goes to health care. And this is a number that I have to keep changing. Medicare hospital insurance will become insolvent by 2017, according to the Medicare trustees themselves. That used to be 2019. And I've read that they're pushing it up to 2015. Uh, so that's how serious this situation is. And some people say, well, you know, that's a lot of money, but we've got the best healthcare technology on the planet. Well, we may have the fanciest gadgetry and the broadest array of pharmaceutical options, but what are we getting for it? Medical errors and iatrogenic events are a leading cause of death in the U.S., number one, number two, or number three, depending on, on which reference you read. And according to the World Health Organization, we rank 37th in overall healthcare performance. So when you look at a healthcare system where, as reported in JAMA, 180,000 die each year, partly as a result of iatrogenic injury, the equivalent of three jumbo jet crashes every two days, that again makes it very real um, how serious this is. And I, I often hear chiropractors say, well, you know, medicine has this strong evidence base supporting it where so much of what we do in chiropractic is based on uh, observational studies and anecdote. Uh, 
But if you look at what David Eddy wrote back in 1991 in the British Medical Journal, uh, he estimated that only about 15% of medical interventions are supported by scientific evidence. And if we fast forward to a JAMA article by Kilo and Larson in 2009, they wrote, on balance, the data remain imprecise, and the benefits that U.S. healthcare currently delivers may not outweigh the aggregate health harm it imparts. In other words, they're saying we're not sure we're even at break even in terms of benefits versus negatives. And the same authors commented that what they call healthcare contributes only about 10% toward reducing premature death. Even a perfectly designed delivery system would prevent only a modest proportion of premature death because so much of it is related to lifestyle issues. So, you know, what have the politicians come up with? All kinds of crazy ideas. Free drugs, indemnified drug makers, cap damages to victims, subsidized malpractice insurance. All of these are based on the premise that the problem is a purely economic one. That if we can simply find a way to redistribute wealth, to pay doctors less, to uh, utilize more generic drugs, uh, we can somehow get the numbers down. But the faulty premise is that by doing more of what's been shown not to work, but just shifting the money around is, is somehow going to solve the problem. So to paraphrase Einstein, the significant problems we face today cannot be solved at the same level of thinking we were at when we created them. So what can we do? Well, if we look at some interesting economic studies that have been done in chiropractic, uh, we see some pretty exciting stuff. Um, back in 1997, Bob Blanks and his team reported on quality of life issues. In other words, uh, self-reported quality of life, how the patient perceives their well-being and how um, chiropractic care has influenced their health care decisions. And they looked at 2,818 respondents in 156 practices, and they found that these individuals tended to have better health care habits. Uh, they tended to make better health care choices uh, regarding nutrition, exercise, and assuming responsibility for their health. But the truly spectacular figures are that 95% reported their expectations had been met and 99% wish to continue care. And around this time also, uh, Coulter uh, published a paper in Topics in Clinical Chiropractic looking at senior citizens over 75 years of age in a chiropractic versus non-chiropractic context. Uh, this was from an insurance database. And they found that the chiropractic patients reported better overall health, used fewer prescription drugs, and were more active than the non-chiropractic. Patients. They also spent 21% less time in hospitals over the last three years. Well, this study was perhaps properly criticized because they said there's a, a serious selection bias problem here. The chiropractic patients are self-selected, and perhaps chiropractic patients are more health conscious and make better health care decisions than members of the general population. So a larger study was done by Rupert's team that was published in JMPT uh, back in 2000, about 10 years ago, looking at senior citizens over 65 years of age. And what they did here in an effort to control for the selection bias was administered the RAN 
SF-36. And they found that the scores of the chiropractic population were not significantly different than those of the general population. So at least uh, with a group that had this size, it was, it was hundreds of patients, uh, there was enough statistical power, I think, to draw uh, some inferences that perhaps one couldn't from the Coulter study. But in this group, they had so-called maintenance care for five years or longer. So this wasn't just you're a chiropractic user or you're not. This was you were under care for five years or longer. Uh, the threshold was pretty low. Um, an average of a little over four visits was enough to be in the in-group. Um, so it could have been a very modest amount of care or more. And they found in this group that had been under care for five years or longer, there were 50% fewer medical provider visits. Now, I mean, that's an astounding number. If it were 5%, if they were off by an order of magnitude, that would be amazing. But what's even more amazing is that not only did they have fewer medical provider visits, but they only spent 31% of the national average for healthcare services. So there were fewer visits, but even a greater degree of cost savings. And once again, we see this amazing level of patient satisfaction, 95.8% felt their care was considerably or extremely valuable. Um, and finally, I'll, I'll just give you one more because, you know, I could go on all night and we need to talk. <laughs> but um, uh, an HMO, L Illinois, Blue Cross Blue Shield, um, did something kind of revolutionary. They allowed their beneficiaries to choose a chiropractor as their primary care provider, if they so desire. And when they made that election, they found that there was a 60.2% decrease in hospital admissions, a 59% decrease in hospital days, a 62% decrease in outpatient surgeries and procedures, and an 85% reduction in pharmaceutical costs compared to normative values. And Dr. Sarnat, who was the MD who was in charge of this project, said that he expected there to be some serious cost savings in the realm of musculoskeletal disorders, but he had no idea that there would be such dramatic across-the-board savings. Uh, so in addition to these studies, uh, we, of course, have um, the workers' comp studies that have been around literally for decades and continue to show the cost savings of chiropractic versus other um, interventions for work-related disorders. Um, and by looking at some of these, these socioeconomic things, and again, as clinicians, we tend to think of clinical stuff, but if we're looking at the future of chiropractic, we kind of have to have at least one foot in the world of policy and healthcare costs. Uh, these numbers really get the attention of policymakers. So let me shut up for a little while and, and let you guys uh, go back and forth with this. Yeah, I mean that's a that's an incredible amount of information uh, that that has been collected over over quite a period of time in the chiropractic uh, research that's come out on cost savings compared to what we are spending in the U.S. government. I mean, you put it in, in uh, you know some pretty nice perspectives and, and pretty good terms there. Before I really comment, because I've read. A few of these articles, and I've got something to, to add to this, too. I'm going to uh, turn it over to Dr. Fred. Uh, Dr. Fred is a, a chiropractic coach 
who predominantly teaches a, a cash-based model and, you know, also teaches insurance-based models, but teaches cash-based cash models simply due to, you know, the, the lack of coverage that uh, most patients are experiencing today and, and such like that. So I'm, I'm sure, Dr. Fred, you'd like to comment on some of this information that was just uh, shared with us. Yeah, thanks, Christopher. I mean, obviously, we all know the truth of chiropractic, and, and most, at least if you want to call them subluxation-based chiropractors, realize those truths, but you put numbers and analogies that certainly are more emotionally impactful. And, you know, you're looking at, I'm sure those stats relate to chiropractic visits, and, uh, you know, obviously, Deed is the head of CBP, and Elite is based around structurally based um, structural corrective work. I mean, we can't even imagine if we actually showed curve changes and then the differences in doctor visits. I mean, who knows what that would be? I mean, the principle of chiropractic was founded on normalizing spinal structure. So certainly your research, you know, I haven't really actually, I've seen you speak at DE and things years and years ago. Uh, I haven't gone to any of your seminars, but it's funny, Deed, when you introduced CRISPR and you said, if you haven't heard from him, you must be a chiropractic student. And I thought you were going to say chiropractic stupid because your name <laughs> is so throughout the profession that if they hadn't heard of your name, then it's like, man, you must be sleeping. Yep. Anyway, just to kind of reiterate that fact that, uh, you know, those principle, those, I'm sorry, the stats are certainly very impactful. And uh, my whole thing was I'm, I wonder what they would have been if they would have gone through true spinal corrective care and actually would have had structural restoration. I mean, that's probably a whole nother level, in my opinion. Yeah, you know, you bring that up, uh, and it's, it's significant because oftentimes these papers are really just performed on generalized chiropractic spinal manipulation. And in fact, if you read those papers, that's what they're classified as. And it's certainly not a chiropractor doing on specific segmental adjusting using, you know, functional outcome measurements and structural outcome measurements like, you know, Dr. Kent, you've been instrumental in developing technology with CLA yourself and uh, Dr. Pat Gentempo. And, you know, it's like Dr. Fred said, what if we looked at a population of people with their EMG being normalized, uh, with their body temperature being normalized, with their heart rate variability normalized, and their spine and posture normalized. What would these people's health savings be like? You know, that's an interesting uh, question. Well, that's that's fascinating, and it's always bothered me. And you know, I I, I don't want to get into a rant on this, but you know, you guys being research oriented will, will appreciate this. Um, What's been happening is that most of the literature out there, as Dita said, talks about spinal manipulative therapy or chiropractic manipulation or something of that nature. There are some papers that are technique-specific, but the vast majority uh, are generic. And, of course, these papers, which uh, are, are simply looking at groups that are providing chiropractic care uh, versus the random population, uh, are, are looking at a mishmash of, of all techniques. Certainly those using objective assessments are in there, but uh, we can only speculate uh, how many. The, the problem, or a problem that I see in chiropractic, maybe it is the most significant problem, is that many chiropractors 
are promising a product they're really not sure they're delivering. They're not using objective assessments. Um, there are individuals, as you well know, who take pre-X-rays and never take post-X-rays. Uh, I'm embarrassed to acknowledge that there are people using our insight technology that do pre-tests to show the patient how badly they need care, uh, but then are reluctant to do post-exams because uh, they're, they're not sure what kind of results they're going to get. And I guess what I find amazing is even given that, uh, even given the lack of specificity, given the lack of any sort of objective outcome assessment, uh, the crude application of chiropractic uh, is getting some pretty spectacular results. And, and as you said, I'd love to see um, the answer to your question. I, and, and that, I think, is research that can be done that wouldn't be terribly expensive uh, because many people are already collecting this data. Uh, there have been some, some central uh, practice-based data collection models out there. I know the ICPA is doing it with pediatrics. Uh, we were doing it with the Creating Wellness Centers, and we got a paper out of that that was published in the Journal of Complementary and Alternative Medicine and, and presented at uh, the American Public Health Association. Uh, but we need to, I think, tap into this data stream that's flowing through uh, our offices. If, if every CBP doctor, if every doctor using the Insight technology, uh, those doing both would be of particular interest to me. Um, were to uh, also look at, at how, uh, quality of life, patient-perceived quality of life, just something simple like the SF36. Uh, I, I think we might, we might come up with some pretty spectacular stuff. Um, for example, uh, there was a Yale paper that was published a number of years ago that suggested that genes contribute only about 25% to the length of a person's life, and I've seen some figures as low as 10%. So it's the choices that people make, including the choice of whether to live life through a nervous system free of interference or whether to compromise their ability to respond to the environment by living with, with vertebral subluxation. Yeah, that, that's right. And before I comment, Dr. Joe Ferentelli, uh, would you like to comment on some of this information? Well, I just think it's, it's great and it's very powerful. And I think that Part of our responsibility, obviously, as you know, researchers, of course, we want to we want to see the the clinical application of how we can we can get this message out because you know, of course, from our background, that's what we we if we do enough research, our goal is to try and wake up the rest of healthcare that that we are a viable option. But I think it's important that we have to get you know, and part of it is you know, a podcast and you know, the journals, the actual um, the. Uh, our regular journals like the American Journal of uh, Clinical Chiropractic, getting the message out to doctors, the lay doctors out there, that they can partake in, you know, basic design and research and actually get them to spread the word that there is justification for what they do. Even doing a lousy job, as we would classify it in, in chiropractic, still gets good results. So those doctors that are interested in doing, you know, a, a research project, you know, and I know a, a large group of our doctors would, would be up for the challenge, of doing that, we could really get a huge study uh, sample size together to really prove to the world that we are evidence-based. And if we have a large enough sample size, they can't ignore us. That's my passion. Exactly. In other words, if you are in a position where you can say, we have thousands of cases 
from hundreds of different sites throughout the country, if not throughout the world. And here's what we found. Uh, when you have that kind of statistical power, people take notice. Even with these relatively small studies, um, they'll get your foot in the door. You know, when I, I took a course in legislative drafting uh, a few years ago from Boston University, and, um, you know, the law school there is very liberal and so forth. And when you come up with something like chiropractic, you know, there was, uh, let us say, a tremendous degree of skepticism. And when I provided them with, with some of this evidence, uh, they were blown away. They, they, they all but accused me of fabrication mm -hmm. uh, because the numbers, uh, as I said, even if off an order of magnitude, if we're only looking at one-tenth of, of the effects that they suggest, uh, it would have a spectacular impact on health care costs. Yeah, that's right. Um, you know, what you've said, it, it's, it brings up a couple thoughts in my mind, and I'd, I'd just like to address these, and then uh, I know Dr. Fred will comment, and then we'll go back to uh, Dr. Chris or Dr. Uh, Joe. The, the thing is that will happen when we do uh, proper subluxation correction with proper outcomes, likely speaking in the average case, we're, we're going to see longer initial of spinal care, we're not going to see two to four weeks. Uh, specifically with the CVP work that we do with spinal correction, we're seeing that it takes a minimum of 36 to 50 visits to actually change the structure of the spine and posture. And we do see in that long-term program the combined effects of CVP plus initial chiropractic care we do see better pain relief outcomes than standard short-term chiropractic generic care, as you called it, uh, Christopher. So we, we do see that it's going to be uh, probably a little bit more effective on pain in the long term, but initial cost analysis is probably going to show that it's a bit higher than the early chiropractic generic articles. But what we would believe is we would believe that these results, number one, should be longer lasting in these people that got actual subluxation correction. And number two, these people will have uh, longevity of improved health where they don't need any type of medication, any type of surgery, hopefully for the same condition, unless something you know unusual happens with accidents and injuries. And, and just to kind of provide a general evidence for that, we did a, a paper it was a case series that we did in the early 2000s, and this was uh, presented at the ACC RAC conference and then was later uh, published in abstract form in the Journal of Chiropractic Education. And I never wrote it up, and that happened to me a lot because I was so busy, so forgive me. for uh, I never wrote this up for formal publication, but it's on a, a long list of to be done. Uh, but what we did is we took uh, ab about four patients with true lumbar kyphosis called the flat back syndrome. And when you look at the surgical literature for these people that have a true lumbar kyphosis that warrants surgical intervention, you're looking at a minimum estimation cost of $62,300. And that was uh, data from the, the late 90s and early 2000s, which by today's standards, it's going to be higher. And th these weren't not, were not including indemnity costs and, and disability costs that may be associated with this after the surgery. We're just looking at the immediate, like short-term costs of the surgery, 62 grand. Well, when we looked at how long it took to correct these people, 
uh, with the average number of visits being 70 visits in approximately four patients with this condition, we came out to a cost that was approximately five to six, seven thousand dollars. So depending on what the patient got, it was anywhere from five to seven thousand dollars. So when you compare the chiropractic rehabilitation for this one condition, we're looking at uh, approximately 10% of the cost of the surgery and not even considering the disability effects of, of having the back surgery. So this early paper, uh, looking at just a simple case series, kind of fits into this picture of what we're talking about. So I would say that initial subluxation correction, whether functional or structural, might yield a little bit higher cost than the standard care in the short term, but perhaps maybe in the long term might yield even better cost savings. So thoughts on that? Yeah, um, I would I would certainly uh, uh, tend to agree. And indeed, one of the political problems that we have is that politicians tend to look to short-term quick fixes. And, uh, you know, when I had proposed uh, Medicare legislation that would have covered uh, so-called maintenance or wellness care, uh, which was one of the exercises I did for this legislative drafting class, uh, they said you're going to have a hard sell here, not because you don't have some evidence to back up your premises, but because it's going to cost more for a little while before they start to see savings. And um, that, that is an issue. And, and we have to get more into a, a longer-term, big-picture perspective. Uh, I think of three studies off the top of my head, uh, a couple of which I already decided one I didn't. Um, but again, the blank study looked at patient perceived quality of life over a five-year interval. Uh, and, you know, in many instances, it took a while for those lifestyle changes to kick in. But what they found there was that um, there was, at least in the first five years, no apparent plateau. There was no point where the patients ceased to continue to believe that their quality of life was improving. Um, the second one, as I pointed out, was the, uh, the five-year maintenance care study. And the third uh, didn't look at money but, but looked at functional outcomes, in this, in this case looking at serum thiol means. And serum thiol is a surrogate indicator of uh, oxidative stress and DNA repair enzymes. And in this study, uh, we compared people with chronic disease in nine different categories with healthy controls that had no known uh, clinical conditions uh, versus people who were under short-term and long-term chiropractic care. And in this study, long-term care was defined as 18 months or more. And what we found was that the serum thiol means in the disease group were, were relatively low, around 40-ish. In the controls, uh, they were a little over 120. And the people under short-term care, um, a little over 100. So not quite as good as the healthy controls because they hadn't yet fully realized the benefits of chiropractic care. But after 18 months, uh, the serum thiol means in the long-term care group uh, were over 140, exceeding those uh, of the controls. And th these were uh, age, gender, and lifestyle match controls. Uh, again, so we weren't comparing smokers with non-smokers or something like that. Um, so again, although this was a relatively small study uh, of about, uh, well, we had 45 in the disease group, 30 controls, uh, 
This was case control study, 25 in the short-term group and 21 in the long-term group. Uh, still, the numbers uh, were, were robust enough to convince me that there's something there. So I think the take-home message here is that if the patient goes away when the pain goes away, they probably haven't realized their potential. And even if their primary objective is, is pain relief, uh, clinically it seems likely to me that their problem will recur if there isn't a long-term correction that, that can be uh, ascertained through objective means. So um, one of the challenges that we're going to have in getting our message out to the public is that, you know, fortunately or unfortunately, people tend to feel better pretty early on in the game of chiropractic care. Yet the benefits aren't fully realized uh, until, you know, many months or, or even years after in terms of preventing chronicity and enhancing quality of life. Yeah, that's uh, very well said and good points on what we're talking about here, uh, Dr. Fred. Well, I think like what you said, Christopher, the challenge is it's a long-term game, but you know it's a short-term loss, which is very typical of the whole mentality of the American public, politicians, and everything. So more than a comment, I have a question. Because obviously you have a passion for this, you are more, you are certainly more politically connected than other people, and, and this, you know, you research these things, your knowledge is far more extensive than the average person out there. So how do you see your purpose, and not just getting this message out to chiropractors, but with CLA and everything you do, how do you see your personal purpose in getting this message out to the general public? And well, I've always told people, and they find this kind of surprising. I said, you know, my life's purpose uh, really isn't chiropractic. It's human potential. It's just that I don't know of any technology that can improve the quality of a human life on as many levels as quickly with a predictable level of, of safety and efficacy as a chiropractic adjustment. Uh, and, you know, I'm always looking for something better, and I haven't found anything better. All I've found are better ways to do chiropractic. Uh, you know, I'm horrified when I think of what my first chiropractor did to me. Uh, you know, he'd uh, uh, crank the neck both ways as hard as he could, hit all the dorsals. If he got noise, he'd say, good set. If he didn't get any noise, he'd say, good, starting to hold. Then he'd uh, do a double uh, Harley Hogg kickstart lumbar roll on both sides. And the adventure ended uh, with a ride on a spinal later. But yet, this incredibly crude form uh, got results spectacular enough for me to decide to become one. So my passion is, is really on many levels. Of course, getting chiropractic out to the people entails uh, reaching policymakers, making sure that chiropractors are, are persecuted and prosecuted for practicing quality chiropractic. I, I know CBT, well, CBP doctors who have had issues with some regulatory agencies regarding purported overutilization or with insurance carriers and so forth. And uh, again, we have to protect our ability to practice the kind of chiropractic that we want to. And uh, the, the irony is that the techniques I know that have the best evidence base uh, seem to be the ones that are, are, are most uh, subject to vilification by uh, 
folks both within and without the profession. Uh, so we need to deal with that. I've been involved in politics, and I've been involved in um, you know drafting legislation and uh, promoting it and so forth. And that's that's kind of difficult. I, I don't love it. I only did it because no one else was doing it, and I thought it needed to be done. Uh, but I think we have people who have better personalities for that than I. Uh, you know, I was doing the UN stuff for a while, where I was uh, chairperson of the NGO, that's non-governmental organization, Health Committee, and we were able to do some some nice things there in terms of having programs about chiropractic at UN headquarters and at uh, NGO meetings in other countries, uh, and, and that was kind of cool, but we're really not making an impact, and um, it's really difficult to decide, you know, where to focus your energy. Is it improving clinical practice? Is it improving patient communication strategies? Uh, is it lobbying in public policy? And I guess I've kind of done a little bit of each, but I, I'll tell you what haunts me, and maybe you guys have some better answers than, than I do. So I've been looking for these answers for the better part of 40 years now. They said, what do you want to be remembered for? And my response was, I don't care if I'm remembered at all. Uh, I, my life is about empowering human beings to be all that they can be through the power of chiropractic care. And what matters to me is that that's still available after I've passed. And nothing I can think of would be worse than on my deathbed only being able to say that I played some minor role in delaying the inevitable medicalization of chiropractic. Uh, and, and that's what's, what's haunting me, that's what's driving me. And, uh, you know, I've kind of settled in at this point, uh, you know, having developed the inside technology and kind of done that having done the political stuff and deciding it's really not what I'm about. Um, I think what I'm about, at least at this point in my life, is uh, communicating with chiropractors and trying to empower them with the information that gives them the certainty uh, to deliver the product, the technology to know that they're delivering the product, and perhaps most importantly, uh, the ability to communicate it with, with confidence and with evidence. Yeah, yeah, you know, uh, the, it's Deed here again. Before I open this back up to Dr. Fred and Dr. Joe, what you just said there in closing and, and tied it into the, the last bit that you were just talking about, uh, I see I saw that in my father towards the end. Uh, of course, you know, he was instrumental in, in developing and spearheading CBP technique and, and new treatment methods for, for chiropractors to do spinal uh, rehabilitation, but towards the end of his career, he was so frustrated and concerned that chiropractors were losing the right to be able to intervene and assess and then correct subluxation disorders of the spine in patients that he's the reason we pushed these uh, two sets of guidelines that we did under the auspice of the ICA, which, you know, the first one, the x-ray guidelines, Christopher, you helped out uh, tremendously with, with me, and, and I think we exchanged, if not uh, sometimes daily, certainly weekly uh, emails back and forth. And uh, But my father, I would, I would agree or say for him that that's the way he saw the end of his career. He wanted to do something more than 
a technique, if you will, which was huge for what he did with CBP, but he wanted to impact the entire profession with x-ray guidelines, protecting those, and then putting forth a document that uh, basically covered the breadth, breadth of what chiropractors had done from the early days on up to current research from case studies to randomized trials and showing that over 330 different health conditions have been found to in at least a you know case study or, or more to respond favorably to chiropractic care and let let's make sure we protect this right for the public to receive this kind of care and and that's really what you know my dad dedicated his life to in the last uh, seven years of uh, his professional career and that's exactly what you've said here well he he certainly uh, has much to be proud of uh, and and so do you I I don't know of any uh, team that has produced the volume of quality literature that you guys have. And again, it shows the political stuff that we have to overcome if we're to survive. I remember uh, hearing Joe Keating say, well, what needs to happen is that we need more chiropractors that get graduate degrees and research that are qualified to do so, that uh, publish in high-quality journals, that engage in interdisciplinary collaboration with other professionals and in sharing this information so that they're cross-pollinating and so forth. And your dad did all of this stuff. And as you said, toward the end, he got very politically involved, not just in the promulgation of guidelines and, you know, the yeoman's job he did reviewing all that literature um, for all those conditions is, is just mind-boggling. But he was also involved in, in ICA. And I remember... Um, in, in one of the um, one of the memorial pieces, they talked about how the only thing he he wanted to accomplish that he didn't really uh, was becoming president of ICA, and I'm sure that would have happened uh, had his health held out. But um, it's it's that kind of magnificent obsession, and when you look at what I kind of cynically refer to as the naked emperors in our profession. Um, who try and claim that they're evidence-based and that subluxation-centered chiropractors are not? Uh, you know, uh, you know. Kudos to to you, your family, uh, and all the CBP doctors uh, for doing their part in, in dispelling that that myth. And I think we need to get the word out. As I said, to chiropractors, uh, particularly those that are using objective techniques and focusing on subluxation correction, uh, that what they're doing is based on far stronger evidence uh, than those that are doing the flying seven and hoping for the best. Yeah, amen. Uh, Dr. Uh, Joe, we haven't heard from you for a bit. Yeah, I'm just uh, taking it all in. I, you know, I just keep thinking from a, a technology standpoint that now we, we actually have the tools to get the word out to the masses of chiropractors that are subluxation-based that, you know, we do have the means to document our ability to change the spine and, you know, actually by correcting subluxations, it affects health in a positive way. And I think that more doctors nowadays are technically savvy enough that they would want to contribute to this. I mean, any of the doctors that are on Facebook now, I mean, you can see that, I mean, we actually have... Um, niches of doctors and quite large groups of doctors that want more research and want to help out with more research. And, you know, with, with Facebook and Twitter and, you know, just email in general, I think now is the time that we could do this. We could do a, a large, a really gigantic study 
and actually have the, the means, like you were, you were saying, Christopher, of, you know, the stats, when we have that power of statistics, people will take notice. And the insurance companies, you know, that at some point in time, people are going to know that, that if the insurance doesn't provide the, the care that they have to, to if they want to live a longer, healthier life, they're going to have to see a chiropractor and actually pay out of pocket to see them. And many of them are doing it now. But I, I think we have the means now that over the next uh, couple of years, we could get some good quality research out between collaborations with groups like yourself and our group that we could definitely spearhead some, some, uh, some large-scale studies. Oh, absolutely. And, and as you pointed out, and, and this is key, you know, the world has changed significantly. Newspapers are going out of business. Magazines are going out of business. Um, television has changed dramatically from there being three networks to there being uh, 500 channels and so forth. And the Internet has taken center stage as the conduit for information for, for most people, be they lay people or professionals. And the, uh, you know, they, they refer to people like me, you know, geezers who were brought up without it but got into it as uh, Internet immigrants uh, versus Internet natives, which, which grew up with it from the get-go. And as Internet natives become the decision-makers and the policy-makers uh, and the brainy people that are, are thought leaders in their, their various fields, we have an opportunity to bypass that whole... Uh, medical pharmaceutical machine that's dominated marketing. And if we can use the Internet to gather data and to come up with these uh, central data repositories based on, on data from clinical practices and disseminate it through the Internet and show the insurance companies, look, uh, the kind of chiropractic that, that's recommended here might cost a little bit more on the front end, but the savings on the back end are going to be absolutely spectacular. And look what happened with Brute Shield in Illinois. Look what happened uh, with Workers' Comp. And more importantly, look at the data that's technique-specific where we've been able to document changes in structure, changes in function, changes in quality of life, and a decrease in chronicity. Um, I think it's a tremendous opportunity, and, you know, the time is now. This is a very exciting time to be a chiropractor. I, I can't imagine. Well, yeah, I can because I was kind of there for a while. Uh, imagine what, it, what it's like to live in a world that's just dominated by, by the medical pharmaceutical complex uh, where that's all you see in the papers, that's all you see in the magazines, that's all you see on television. Uh, yeah, that stuff is still there, but as I said, the print media is going away. People distrust television, uh, and they're starting to look at source credibility on the Internet. And they're starting to look at, well, where did the study come from and, and who did it and how well was it done? So I think there's a tremendous opportunity here, um, and we just need to coordinate that effort. Yeah, I, I was going to add one more thing, Deed. As you know, many people don't realize your dad had the foresight here. And going back to our posture print software that we published in four different journals and our x-ray digitizing system, Posture his main drive for helping spearhead both those projects was data collection. That was his main goal. And that's why I, when we're in our seminars, we always reiterate it to our, our doctors 
that was the primary goal of developing that software was to get so many clinics being able to use objective means and collect that data so we could look at different conditions and show that a kyphotic neck was a majority of the reason why that person had you know a certain named condition so that the if we had large enough sample size again using those as uh, data collection techniques we could actually prove that subluxation when it's cleared can help improve health yeah that's right uh, that's exactly what posture print posture ray was uh, meant for was uh, mass data collection in a standardized form. Uh, Dr. Fred? Well, I definitely have an opinion about all this. And, and, you know, kind of reflecting back on the whole conversation, I mean, we are in the best time ever to really spread the message of the power of what chiropractic does. I mean, even, even crudely applied, like you said, Christopher, you know, it still gets changed in health. And I'm going to give a, uh, we're not always PC on here, so I'm going, to, I'm going to cross the PC boundaries and just say, you know, like what you said, Joe, how, how Don had great foresight to be able to see how an individual can contribute to the unity. And that's what Chiropractic United is. You know, we have all these subluxation-based, you know, these doctors call themselves subluxation-based. And they're out there waving the flag, standing on an orange crate with a megaphone, which is completely awesome because the truth is so powerful. Yet, you know, you have these patients that come in and say, I've been going to chiropractor for 30 years. You know, I love chiropractic, and that's great. And then you look at their x-rays, and they're degenerated. They're on drugs. It's like, is that what BJ and all those guys went to jail for? Not BJ, but is that what they went to jail for? Is that the road they paved? You know, we have these studies, Christopher, that you cited, which are amazing, but and when you take the cross-section of the population out in the general public, does the average chiropractic patient represent better health than other patients? Is, is that their story? And a lot of times it is, but what do their x-rays look like? And what's, you know, if, if when your passion is to be able to help people reach their human potential, then Don was the only person that applied physics and math to the spine. He gave us a normal, optimal spinal structure. And CBP is the most researched technique out there. You know, so Chiropractic United is, is here to give those people that may not go to a CBP seminar. But you can get on there and learn how to put in a cervical curve with a dental roll. There's things that you don't have to be a certified CBP fellow or whatever to be able to make structural change. And, you know, we have to contribute individually, individually to the strength of the group. And, you know, I just think it's about time that individuals took a little more responsibility. And if you're going to tell that story, then freaking deliver it and be responsible for it and change an x-ray and help the general public know that chiropractic isn't about just getting adjusted and getting rid of allergies. You know, it's about having optimal structure for life and noticing that people don't degenerate the same. Otherwise, man, you can't. Gravity wins. I mean, you can adjust the spine and get rid of some allergies, but if you don't change that structure, gravity wins 10 out of 10 times. And they need to know that, you know, an optimal upright structure of a spine is lifelong health. And I just think that doctors need to step it up, man, and, uh, you know, take people to another level. 
and teach the truth of what chiropractic started. And there is an application out there that can make that difference. And that's my personal opinion. <laughs> Agreed. Yeah. Uh, Deed here again. Just to, you know, I don't have anything left to say with what Fred and Joe and Christopher said here, except for maybe go back to the beginning before we have some closing remarks, because I think uh, we all agree we could probably do this for another couple hours. And I think we'll have to have Dr. Christopher back for a second uh, podcast, because this has been awesome for me. I love listening to you, uh, Dr. Christopher. But uh, just to, back on the cost-effectiveness note, uh, I'm sure you, you did, but uh, I'm just going to ask, did you read the 2009 uh, Mercer report that came out uh, that was prepared for the Foundation of Chiropractic Progress? Uh, no. As a matter of fact, I've been trying to get a copy, and uh, I haven't been able to actually obtain one. Okay. Well, I'm going to email this to you immediately after uh, this uh, Yeah, I went to their website, and it said it's coming, and I'm still waiting, uh, so... Okay, I, I've uh, send it off. Yeah, I've got this, and and I haven't read the whole report for a long time, uh, so I'm going to skip to what what I think is the the most relevant uh, part of this. And and keep in mind, these are uh, economists that are looking at uh, the the cost effectiveness of chiropractic care for low back pain analysis, and they're using. Uh, something called qualities, quality of life years analysis. And, and I haven't done a lot of looking into what qualities actually are. I understand them a little bit. And, and maybe I'll have you uh, comment on those, uh, Dr. Christopher, if you will, if you're familiar with that. But in the end, when, when you look at this paper, essentially what they've shown is when we look at chiropractic care for the simple condition of, of low back pain, I say simple we know it's not simple, but it's just one. It's one part of the healthcare crisis, and it might be the biggest part. But low back pain, and it just as a simplistic condition, it's not you know multiple sclerosis, etc. So hopefully nobody condemns me for using that term. But what we found uh, find from this paper is when you, when you see their data, they show even if we were to assume that chiropractic care had a cost of a hundred dollars per visit we would still maintain an appropriate quality outcome and rating, and it would still be more cost-effective than no treatment and standardized treatments, including medicine and, uh, and exercise. So one point is that chiropractors, on average, do not charge $100 a visit. Uh, some doctors do, some don't, but our, our co cost in terms of a national average is well below $100 a visit. We're not getting that. So an economist analysis is saying even if we bump our fees up, we're still cost-effective using a, a, quality, a quality analysis. So that, that's kind of the general summary of this particular paper, and uh, I'll ask you for your thoughts on that, Christopher. Yeah, well, I really can't comment on that specific study because I haven't read it and I'm, I'm not familiar with the, uh, the analysis that they used. Uh, so I, I defer uh, my, my thoughts until I read that. But uh, it's certainly consistent uh, with the conclusions reached by, by other papers I, I have studied, and that is that um, incredibly spectacular cost savings can be realized, but even more important than the cost savings, again, if we go back to, uh, you know, the high altitude view of human potential, um, 
epigenetics, and that's a whole new world, we could do a program just on that, has shown that the decisions that we make can actually be transmitted to future generations. Although the actual genetic code isn't changed, the epigenome, which determines which genes are turned on and turned off in response to the environment, uh, can change. And those changes can persist uh, through multiple generations. So I think it's important that everyone realize that the decisions that they make and the actions that they take today are not only sculpting your future, but that of humanity as well. And that the decision to be under regular chiropractic care so that your nervous system is working at its optimum level, so that your perception of the world isn't distorted through subluxation, and so that your ability to respond to the environment isn't compromised by subluxation is, is a major life decision. And not only does it affect you, your family, your friends, your coworkers, everyone you come into contact with, but it may actually be passed to future generations as well. Yeah, now that's a, a profound yeah. a profound statement and, and concept, but I just quickly want to say, damn it, I'm disappointed that you didn't have more information on the quality of life adjusted years <laughs> analysis than I did. <laughs> and I know you want to read the paper first, but... The, the, exactly. I, I, you know, I... I to, to, I, there are so many people out there that love to comment on papers they've never read or they've skimmed the abstract and, you know, they feign uh, knowledge. And, you know, kind of my mantra has been for many years, don't just read the abstract, read yeah. the whole paper. You may find some really startling stuff. So uh, anyway, be happy to comment next time after I've read the paper. I, I definitely appreciate that, and I would have said a similar thing, and that after reading the paper, I still didn't know much more about a quality than I did, than I did before. So uh, I, I would have to look that up myself in a more detailed manner. But uh, uh, Dr. Fred and Dr. Joe, closing comments on what uh, we've said and what Dr. Christopher just said. I just think that it's good that we're using means of technology now to spread some awareness about our future plans to, you know, collaborate on some, you know, groundbreaking studies for chiropractic. Yeah, and I just want to say uh, thank you from not only myself, but all of us and the whole profession, Christopher, for the things that you're doing. Because, um, you know, with things that you've already done, even if you didn't do one thing more, you've already made a tremendous impact. So um, we appreciate your efforts and your passion. Yes, thank well, you. Well, I certainly appreciate the opportunity to, to be on the show and to share to a greater audience. That's what it's all about, as I said, is getting, getting the word to the chiropractic profession so that they can get the word to their patients, uh, to policymakers, and to become the cultural authority for wellness in their community. Yeah, a absolutely. And, you know, uh, usually we, we do the, the research article of, of the week, uh, but we've already done several research articles in this particular podcast, so we don't need uh, another one. And so what we'll do is uh, I have a couple just closing remarks, and, and one was, you know, we had you speak at the annual in in 2010, and that was very well received. And in the future, I'm going to ask and uh, invite you out again. I hope you'll do that. Uh, the, the doctors there loved the information that you presented. It was absolutely remarkable. And then also, uh, if you can just tell uh, doctors how uh, to get 
in touch with this type of information and more that you share, like your particular website and some things that they can look at uh, to stay connected with you, uh, Dr. Christopher, if you can do that uh, briefly for us. Sure. Just uh, I'll give you two. One is CairoOnPurpose.com. Easy to remember, CairoOnPurpose. Uh, that will get you information about our um, audio subscription service where we review uh, science and research, we address political issues, and we also have a philosophy section which usually features uh, a guest who is uh, a major player in chiropractic or in, in, in wellness in general. Uh, we also have on-purpose slides for patient education. Uh, if your patient education materials uh, were obtained or were created at the time of leisure suits and mirrored balls, it's time to get some fresh stuff in there that reviews the contemporary literature and lets your patient know that, that you're the one. And um, also press releases uh, so that when there is major research in chiropractic that we think is significant or even a significant case study, uh, you can send this to local media outlets. And uh, it's credible because it's a news piece, uh, an editorial piece rather than uh, an advertising piece. So if you're interested in that, chiroonpurpose.com. If you're interested in learning more about our instrumentation, um, subluxation.com. Also on subluxation.com is uh, what's called Dr. Kent's Library, which has uh, many of the articles that I've written, and, and you can search them topically. So uh, that's a free resource that's available to you as well. That's fantastic. And I know you and uh, Dr. Patchen Tempo, uh, Dr. Christopher, have been doing on purpose for a long time. 18 years. Yeah, and, and that's fantastic. And that's, you know, part of our inspiration, my, myself, Dr. Fred Domenico, and Dr. Joe uh, Ferentelli, is, that's part of our inspiration for doing Chiropractic United because we felt like, uh, number one, there wasn't a podcast like this out there, and we felt like we had some information that we wanted to share, too, and bring together people that not practice the same technique, but share the same vision of what our profession should be. And that's what Chiropractics, uh, Chiropractic United is really all about, and I know that's what you and On Purpose are all about. And so I, I think that this has just been an, an absolutely uh, amazing podcast, and I hope the listeners out there would agree with that. Great. There you go. Yep. Well, thanks again for the opportunity, and uh, I look forward to doing another one. Well, thank you very much, and uh, we'll bring this uh, week's podcast to uh, to a close. On behalf of myself, Dr. Deed Harrison, uh, Dr. Fred Domenico, and Dr. Joe Ferentelli from uh, www.chiropracticunited.com, uh, we'd like to just say an overwhelming uh, thank you to Dr. Christopher Kent for joining us tonight. So on that note, we'll end this week's podcast, and, and we'll be in touch with you in the future, Dr. Christopher. And if there's anything uh, that we can ever collaborate on in the future, whether it's a simple thing or not, uh, please uh, don't hesitate to contact us. Great. Thank you, Christopher. Thanks. All right, gentlemen, uh, you have a good evening, and uh, be well. All right. Take care, guys. Bye-bye.